Welcome to the archive section with the second half of this interview with Stephen Sedoni. So in this half, we want to get into some of the other things uh, pertaining to the inner earth and or hollow earth theories and uh, some of the evidence surrounding it. Uh, first off, I think I'll relay a, relay a story that uh, something that happened to me personally uh, that'll kind of set this thing off. Uh, I, I astral project, and uh, I haven't been able to recreate, get back to the same place yet. Uh, I've been processing quite a few other things here in the last few months, and, and uh, my projections have seemed to shut down for a while. But anyways, uh, about six months ago, maybe, uh, actually it was, right, it was just before the, the July conference at the East Eddy Ranch, uh, I had projected... And I found myself in a, in a town, and I don't know where this was, but uh, tree-lined streets and wrought iron fences and beautiful, absolutely beautiful place. And I was floating down the street, about three feet off the ground, floating down the street. And, and I see this church off to the left, and I took a left, and I, I floated right up to the, the, the main entrance of the church, of the church and I looked up to the top of the steeple, and as I looked up, I, I fell backwards, and I started sinking through the earth. And it, I had the sensation of, of moving. It was, it, was, it, was an amazing, it, was, it was an amazing sensation. And I was in a, the dar a dark area, a completely black area, and I, and, uh, I know, knew I was traveling through the crust of the earth. And then all of a sudden, I was in water. And I was in water for oh, just a very brief, brief time, so it couldn't have been that deep. Uh, but as soon as I broke the surface of the water, I found myself on the inside of the planet. And I could see on the horizons, I could see it, what looked like about 20 miles away, a shoreline. And I could see that the interior, the curvature, uh, it was pretty slight from what I could, was able to see. But you've got to consider this is a pretty big place. And up in the center, of, of, up in the sky, was a, uh, an orb that was only half lit. It kind of reminded me of the, the you know, the yin-yang symbol uh, where half was dark and half was light. And that was, that's what I saw for the sun there, uh, the, the, the light source, the light and heat source. And uh, I was just, I, I was totally amazed and at that point, I started, I started freaking out, going, where am I, where am I? As soon as you do that, uh, it's like the, the rubber band goes poing, and you slam right back into your body. But that, to me, was validation that there is a hollow earth. Well, I, See, I, I'm, a firm, uh, I'm a firm believer in uh, what you're talking about, uh, Ramon, did you have another story you want to share with before I tell one of mine? Um, no, not in particular. I, when I had my uh, out of body experience dealing with the hollow earth, I wasn't sure if I was in a hollow earth or another town. But um, there's a statue here in Japan that's famous. It's called Tenuki, which is a, a like a raccoon kind of, and he's like standing up. And a lot of people will have them in their front doors. And before I even knew what that was, when I was living back in New York, I spoke to the statue in 
what I I'm believing now was uh, a city in the Hollow Earth. But and he just gave me warnings, but he wasn't he wasn't allowed to talk to me. So as soon as he started talking to me and told me about the warnings on the Earth, he uh, I was pulled back right into my body. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Steve. Well, I'm going to share an interesting story with you, and uh, one I've, <clears throat> I've I've lived through, which is amazing. I told you about the J.C. Brown legend. What I didn't tell you about is when I came out to Shasta uh, last year to uh, look for these doors. Right after I began my search to go out to Dunsmere, I was lecturing at the college, uh, COS College, and at the stage door in town, and a woman comes up to me after the lecture and it's about 86 year old woman name was Laverne and she said I uh, need to take you somewhere I don't know why but I'm supposed to take you to meet my friend Kenneth I said okay so I gave her my number and uh, two days later I went with her to meet her friend Kenneth now Kenneth was a 86 year old man as well so here I am in the, uh, the seniors club almost in this uh, uh, old age age home facility he lived in and uh, so she takes me to meet him introduces me and she says to Kenneth do you know who Stephen is he looks at me he says I've been waiting for him okay you're my brother from Lemuria so now I'm taken back I says well brother from Lemuria he goes yes I says well what was my name and jokingly he goes your name was Randu he said you were a, a shaman in Lemuria, and I was your brother. I said, well, what was your name? You know, he says, well, you promised not to laugh. I says, okay. He says, my name was Kandu. You were Randu, and I was Kandu. <laughs> <laughs> so now I, uh, I said to him, I says, well, that's very interesting. He says, I know you find it hard to believe, but behind you is standing uh, Archangel Michael, uh, St. Germain and uh, Adama, the high priest of Telos. I turn behind me. I don't see anything, of course. I'm, I'm a 3D guy. I'm going, okay, well, if I don't, I don't see it, he goes, he goes, they're telling me they know why you're here. He goes, tell me why you're here. So then I tell him about my story. Looks over to his left and he says, let me ask my angels, Edwin and Johnny. Now, I don't see them either. So he talks to them and he says to them, yes, you're on the right track. You will find a physical location and they're saying, when you do, come back and show me, and I will validate what you if what you find is correct. So a couple of weeks later, <clears throat> I came back to see him, and I showed him. I, I created a little YouTube movie and some photos to show him the back doors, which I explained earlier in this first hour of uh, from the from the legend. After showing him the photos and the video, he turns to his right again, gets validation from his two uh, his angels, and he says, yes, you did find find one of the entrances, but you're going to find others, but you're going to be going in, but it won't be right now. You need to prepare yourself. You need to do the work. And I'm going, what work? He goes, you need to get to more of your spiritual work. He goes, these are not 3D openings. They're in the fifth dimension, something that you need to, you know, be more understanding of. He said, I, I was very sick last year, and I was close to, to crossing. And at that time, I was given, you know, the opportunity to cross. And I said, no, I don't want to cross this year. I want to, I want to go up into Telos. And uh, he was told by Adama at that time, this was in, uh, I guess, 2008, that he would go in next year, which was last year, and that he'd have to wait until, like, August or something before it would happen. This was, like, 
in June when we were talking, he says, well, I was waiting for you, my brother. We're supposed to go together. Well, right after that, I was like you know, shaking my head. But for the next couple of weeks, I would visit Kenneth at his home, and uh, he would share stories, and we would do prayers and meditation. One day after reading uh, a prayer, we had our hands on each other's shoulders. He levitated off the ground about a foot and a half. Wow. I then brought him back to the ground, and uh, the person who was in the room with me like thought maybe like I lost my balance. They lost their balance. It was They were like falling, so I had to bring him down. And when I brought him down to the ground, he said to both of us, thank you, Stephen. He goes, you know, I was levitating. He goes, and thank you for bringing me back to the ground. At that point, the other person in the room realized that, you know, he had left the ground. Uh, after the, that that. that that encounter was over. I told the other person, please don't tell anybody what just happened because this is a special moment, what just happened. And, uh, I don't want people to get the wrong idea about this. Well, a couple of days later, uh, <clears throat> I was going up to Ashland and I went to go visit Kenneth and in front of his door, there were this old mail that was unopened, uh, four days worth of mail. And I go, well, gee, this is odd. So I went over to a store in town uh, where he had friends and they told me that he had fell the night before and he was in uh, Mercy General Hospital there in Shasta. So I says, well, I'm going up to Ashland for the day. You think he'll be all right? I says, well, his chest is a little sore, but, you know, if you're going up for one day, just see him tomorrow. Well, I went up, and the following day I got a phone call that he had just passed away early in the morning. So right after that, I was, you know, a little upset about it, and I went to the, to the bathroom. I was just kind of like shaking my head, and next thing you know, I heard him in my ear says go out get your prayer book go out to the car and get it and i do and then at that time i hear him tell me that uh he's going to loan me this is funny edwin and johnny for a week because he's going to be an angel training but after that you know uh he's going to be with me so for a whole week after that i get woken up at three o'clock in the morning by him and i kept saying kenneth i gotta go to sleep it's three o'clock in the morning you know after the week you know i realized that he was coming through on a regular basis. So here it was. Uh, not only did I find, you know, this back door, but uh, I get reunited with someone uh, who's now on the other side and gives me validation that there are things that are happening and other things about, you know, the, the inner earth, you know, that, that's coming through now, that what I was told is that the veil is um, going to be lowered very, very soon, and there will be more people we're going to be able to receive this information, uh, provided that they continue doing the spiritual work. Right. That that uh, talk about validation, the fact that he saw the same same three beings behind you that the uh, the the Indian guy did in uh, Washington. And the women. Yeah. Well, you know, it was interesting. Right after the first Native American in Washington uh, told me that, there was a Drumming for Peace rally that was at the Olympia State Capitol, which was like about a month later, that was held there. And another Native American, two others, one was uh, from the Sioux Tribe and on Saturday, and then later that same day, one from the Algonquin Tribe told me the same thing about what they saw around me verbatim, and neither one of them had talked to the other. So there was the three Native Americans up in Wa Olympia, Washington, and then there was Kenny thereafter, so that made four. Yeah, well, that's got to be, so that, that's a really uh, amazing confirmation for you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I tell people, you know, uh, you just never know who the messenger is going to be, and uh, 
It's like when I was I was managing a store years back, and uh, people would come in and, with a product, and they would be just mad because it didn't work. They want to return it, and they're yelling at the salesman. Then they finally asked to speak to the manager, and then they would get me, and I would come to the front of the store, and the customer says, "I want to speak to the manager," and I come up. And I'm not that tall in stature. I'm, you know, soft-spoken. They look at me, and I guess their perception of who the manager was wasn't, you know, who I was. And if I had to say, you know, who are you expecting, Darth Vader? (laughs) 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 I said, I'm the only one here who can help you. So my point was that there are many times that people don't want to accept who uh, is the chosen spokesman or who's the person who steps forward to deliver the information or the message. Oh, I can relate with that. Yeah, yeah. that's that's definitely. So the, these inner earth legends, these things are all over the planet. Uh, I mean, every every culture has some mythologies or legends about the uh, uh, either coming from inside the earth or beings that are from the inside of the earth or. Uh, it just, when you look into it, it's just, it's everywhere. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, and, and these, and now these stories are, are now going to become more and more prominent as the internet has, uh, you know, taken, taken the world by storm. I mean, now, you know, people are going to share some of these unbelievable, you know, legends and stories that have been dormant many, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's go um, into the North Pole a little bit because I saw some of your YouTube channels, and you did a, a really good job explaining it. Let's uh, first Thank start you. off, I guess, with the um, with the birds um, up there that are really really strange. Well, in we, pattern we can talk about well, we can talk about the auk birds in uh, in that in that area there. The auk birds fly north and. Uh, no explanation why they would fl- fly north because supposedly it's colder as you go north. But these birds are migrating north, and when they come back, these birds have, you know, if you would dissect one of these birds, you find out they were drinking fresh water, they were eating, you know, fresh, you know, fruit and whatever. Where'd they get it from if this is all icy? Now, in that video, at the end of the video, I'm pretty much, you know, it's cause and effect. Okay. How do we prove this? Very easy. I mean, you have a GPS in your car, a tracking device, you know, on your cell phone, whatever. Just track the birds, like, and monitor them and see where they go. And you'll find out that these birds are going into the open uh, appendages of the earth, which are hollow. I, I have yeah. to believe that, that the, they have been tracked and that the, that information is just not, uh, you know, it's, it's under that control. Well, if you look at the the airspace, I mean, commercial uh, flights are not allowed to fly over, you know, supposedly the pole out openings. That, you know, they they go around it. The eighty fourth so, parallel is it? Right. Well, after after you pass the eighty fourth parallel, is when things get get strange. I mean, you have uh, Admiral Perry and and uh, Bird and and some other of the uh, the explorers who went past there. The the compasses act crazy. They point downward. They they don't give you an actual reading, so it, it confuses them, and they could be traveling hundreds of miles after that. But instead of going north or south, they're going inward instead of you know, upward or or outward. 
Yeah, but you know, with our GPS technology today, uh, that takes the compass completely out of it. So this is all satellite information. I mean, so uh, it, why would it, why would they make the uh, both the poles off limits? I mean, they even Google Google Earth. They won't. Yeah, I was just about to say the that. Pole, they don't show you the poles. All right, well, that's got to be a red flag, guys, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, here's the funny thing. I tried to look at Greenland, uh, the North Greenland. I think, what's that called, Barrow? Yeah, Barrow Island there, yeah. And there's no, Google won't show that. It's all animated, which I find amazing. Well, well, that goes to show you, I mean, uh, what, what, what remains hidden remains hidden for a reason. I mean, uh, there's no reason why those areas shouldn't be viewable. So uh, tell us about uh, F.D. Hatfield. Okay, you tell me what you want to know about Hatfield. Well, he did a he was he on an he was on an expedition, was it? Right. Mm -hmm. a, yes. Was it a North Pole expedition? And uh, yes. Uh, and what was the information that he brought back? Well, they had seen, you know, a, a, a mountainous, uh, pretty much a, a, a tropical type of a setting up there, you know, and uh, after the 84th parallel is what he reported, I believe. So let's see that we and the, some of some of the more famous uh, Westerner, I suppose, uh, explorers. We've got we've got uh, the ones that have touched on this. We've got what Hatfield and we've got Bird and. Uh, was Bungers uh, the Antarctic, or was he? Uh, well, he, he was, was Antarctic, the, wasn't he? He was Antarctic, the South Pole, at the same time that Admiral Byrd was doing his exploration on the North Pole. But he found, uh, you know, uh, islands there uh, right by the South Pole that were tropical, as well, Bungers Paradise, if you will. And he reported that you know there are strange things happening when you you go towards the South Pole as well. Keep in mind, you know, this is one of the things that's it's always got me to, to wonder. The icebergs are, are composed of uh, fresh water. They're not salt water based. I mean, where does this water come from? And the water has to come out of a river out of the inner earth. And as soon as it hits the colder water, whether it be the North Pole or the South Pole, it freezes and makes a body of ice. But that ice must be salt water based. But how is a fresh water and how is vegetation in there, from trees and branches or whatever, or even to find animals, uh, prehistoric animals that are preserved as though they were alive yesterday? So, I mean, this has got to give you a red flag as to, you know, how can these things occur in a saltwater uh, ocean? It's impossible. Unless, of course, there is uh, fresh water, unless, of course, there's a river running outside of the earth. To, uh, to create these, these conditions. I mean, you can go to the North Pole and you've got the Aurora Borealis, the strange lights, you know, that uh, shows a possible illumination of a, maybe a secondary sun coming out of this opening to give the strange uh, phenomena appearance over the Alaskan skies. Stephen, I think we're going to have to um, go to Greenland and go up the east coast and just really ask um around because i well, have a feeling once you get past that the the north part of greenland 
Well, have you? Are you familiar with the Lost Colony? Uh, for those who are listening, if you'd like to know about the Lost Colony, go on YouTube and just Google the Lost Colony. It's a story about Eric the Red, who took uh, people from Greenland up. Uh, he was told by the Eskimos that uh, if you went 30 days north of, of Greenland, you'd find a land of milk and honey where you have hunting elks and food. He took everybody from Greenland with him. They traveled 30 days north from, from Greenland, never to be seen again. And if you go to their museums in, in their country, they talk about the expedition where all these people just mysteriously disappeared. They found no graves, no remnants of anything of these people. 300 years later, when the people from their country went out to Greenland looking for Eric and uh, you know, their, uh, you know, their, their culture. So that's a mystery that's never been explained. Where did they go? You know, and the, the, native, the, the Indians, the uh, Eskimos, knew that they went further north, and they were told about the land of uh, milk and honey, you know, the, the warm springs, you know, the warm, you know, the warm territories. And if that doesn't sound like a hollow earth, I mean, what does? Well, the, I, the whole hollow earth, the scientific end of, of the hollow earth theory, I, well, I, won't, I won't say use the word scientific. Let's just say my common sense tells me that you have a, a, a planetary body spinning in Earth, uh, spinning in space, there's a thing that I know of called centrifugal force, right? Which would push everything out, and then you, then you add, you take all, you take that and couple with it with the Pangaea uh, theories, where we it was all one planet. Well, I mean, one bot, one uh, land mass on this planet that broke up and spread apart. Uh, I, I kind of see it in my mind that, that we were actually once, this planet, the radius of this planet was much, much smaller. And through the billions of years, that, that spinning force is, is forcing the crust of the planet to thin and, and spread. And that's why you have the continental drift and all that, that stuff, which would... You're talking about the growing planet theory, right? Leave, leave a hollow in the, in the center of the Earth. It just, that just it just makes common sense to me uh, and then then we have the the things like the uh, the the Apollo mission I can't remember which one it was was it 12 or or, or seven I can't remember which one where they uh, they uh, crashed the uh, the booster or whatever the heck it was back into the uh, moon and the moon rang for three hours in uh, showing that that most likely that the moon itself is hollow Uh so I, I kind of personally see that, that it, it just makes sense to me that any spinning mass like that is going to expand and create a hollow cavity on the in, interior. Well, uh, I would not be surprised or people shouldn't be surprised if they realize that, you know, there are more than the Earth and many other planets are hollow and uh, that other civilizations uh, might have existed elsewhere as well within our solar system uh, and other places as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the the legends that I, I hear, um, especially the one about uh, Smoky God, is one of my uh, favorite books to read. Well, well, I I, uh, I put that up on YouTube. You can you can hear the narration of the Smoky God. I have it up, I believe, uh, on my YouTube site. But yeah, that's an interesting story by someone who will claim to have spent uh, two years, I believe, 
living with them. Him and his father uh, ended up uh, by boat going north and ended up going into the hollow earth. And they met some of the people who uh, they lived with and they, and they stayed there. And then after two years, he wanted to come back. And uh, they couldn't come back the way that they came to the North Pole. So they had to come to the South Pole, to the rivers that go inside of the earth and navigate to the South Pole. And coming out, the father ended up dying, and he ends up getting picked up by a trawler. And when he told his story, they ended up putting him in an insane asylum, I believe, for almost 30 years before he got out. And uh, mm-hmm. so he ended up, yeah. And then from he there, he crazy. left and went to uh, the States. Yeah, he ended up living in uh, Los Angeles. And, and just before he died, he shared this story only to be written then in fear of they would lock him up again and put him away. Hmm. So one of probably one of the the oh, most most widely known and uh, at least probably well at least it was one of the first ones that I came across was the the Admiral Byrd. Uh, for those of those those of uh, who may be listening who don't know this uh, story, would you uh, briefly uh, run through that? Well, Admiral Byrd uh, was uh, <clears throat> commissioned by the government to uh, to take an expedition to the polar openings north and south. And the reason why they wanted this done, because the Germans, Hitler in particular, believed in a hollow earth. And they wanted to beat the Germans to the hollow earth because the Germans were trying to set up a place called uh, New Swabenland. And they were trying to find out where this continent or island existed. So they were trying to find out, A, what was Hitler doing, you know, uh, you know, uh, going north or south, either South Pole or North Pole, and where was this mysterious place that he had already found? So uh, his job was to go and to find out what was really going on in the North Pole and South Pole. Uh, on his, one of his trips up to the North Pole is where he and his pilot went in to uh, the inner Earth and North Pole, and I think he traveled about 2,300 miles going in there. And what he saw was uh, warm vegetation. He saw uh, trees that were like 10 times the height of the redwoods. He saw uh, animals, prehistoric animals of nature, brontosauruses, uh, things, all sorts of animals that supposedly haven't existed for, for millions of years on the inner earth. And he was met by a group uh, of ships that... Uh, who they pulled alongside of his plane, and they ended up taking him, uh, landing him, and claimed that they were the Ariani, and that they were the inhabitants of the inner earth, and they would take him to meet with the king of the world, I believe is what the, they called him. And so Admiral Byrd was then taken to meet with this inner earth uh, king, who gave him a message to bring back to the president of the United States. So here he comes back to the President of the United States to give him the message. And what the message basically was is that they wanted our government to stop with the nuclear testing. They didn't want them to pursue the nuclear because that would be the destruction of the planet, which would also be the destruction of the inner Earth. So they wanted to set up a meeting with the, uh, the powers that be of our government to let them know that, yes, they exist. They wanted to have treaties or whatever it was. And... Uh, Next thing you know, they they sent out ships over uh, 
sightings were over Los Angeles. There were sightings over the White House, whatever. And then our government started taking a shot at all these uh, UFO type of vehicles in response to, you know, their goodwill. They were trying to uh, stop the madness at that point. So interesting enough, uh, Bird, you know, when he came back, uh, you know, shared this information on the journey into the, the North Pole. And this was what was cited by him in his secret diary that years later that was passed on that then only came out years later. So uh, didn't, didn't they, they, the government mounted a big expedition uh, to the South Pole shortly after that, sent a bunch of warships and, and uh, aircraft carrier and all, I can't remember what it was, 10,000, 10,000 yes. men. Yeah, uh, with, with, with dirigibles that were, you know, designed to be able to get through the ice so that way they could get to the South Polar opening, yes. Mm -hmm. Right, and uh, they got their, basically, they got their asses handed to them, and they came running back with, like, the dog with his tail between his legs. There are very few ships came back from that. Isn't that the... Um... I think that they lost two or three ships. I can't remember what it was. Mm -hmm. Well... The interesting thing about that is that during World War II, like 50,000 submarines uh, were like unaccounted for. They don't know what happened to them, where they went. So uh, could very well be that they went to the South Pole, to this new Swabenland, or to, uh, to the polar openings. And this is why the, the U.S. was going down there, because uh, it was a secret place that the, the Nazis had found. Yeah, um, the 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 story just gets more and more amazing the more you start digging into this. Um, did you um have you ever come across um Brooks Agnew's uh stuff? Uh, I um, I saw some of his things. I I know some people like James Gilliland and other people who who know him, and uh, I've never met him personally. I have friends who know him, but. His big thing that, uh, that I was told was that he wanted to put an expedition together to go up to the North Pole to actually find the, you know, the, the opening at the North Pole. Yeah, and he also um, traveled around the world looking for evidence of this and stories. And it, it just seems that the more you look into this, the more you find evidence. But there's a great scientist. Uh, trying to remember their name. There's a father and son from South Africa, and they have a book called "The Land with No Horizon." And they do the whole scientific look into this. And from what I heard in the interview, when they when they start talking about, I don't know if you're familiar with the shadow zone when you have an earthquake, how it rings still, and that's only possible. If there's if it's hollow, if it's solid the way they teach us in school, uh, that wouldn't happen. Makes you wonder. Yeah, yeah, and you know what gets me frustrated with school is that they teach it as fact when it's only a theory because they've never proven. But if you give them any other theory, they they're like, oh no, that's impossible. Well, that's you know basically it's suppression of, of 
to be a, a free thinker. When you take away someone's ability to reason and to to analyze things, then you're you're making them robotic and you're just telling them you're dumbing them down. Actually, is really what you're doing. Take the creativity away. Exactly. You know. You, you know. Once you take the creativity away, it's like you give somebody lined paper. You know, give somebody you know regular sketching paper with crayons and rather than give them lined paper because all of a sudden they'll open up their mind, they'll open up their creativity where the beauty of life will actually come out and, you know, answers will begin to, to appear. But when you give somebody canned responses or you tell teachers, for example, this is the curriculum, this is what you're going to teach. You cannot deviate from this past. You have to teach uh, the Darwinism theory. You have to teach, the, you know, this and that. You're not yeah. giving people at least a chance to think until they get to, you know, high levels of education. And then, those professors are tenured, and the last thing they want to do is say anything that upsets the apple cart because then they, they won't have a job. Yeah, they're tenure. Yeah. yeah. They, um, I've heard stories where um, students wanted to do research into the hollow earth, and they would say, you know, now if you want to graduate. Well, there you go. Now if you want to get your you know, master's. Well, you know, you have to be, you know, I have a friend who is a, uh, writes for a major paper who had interviewed me, and he commended me on some of the things I was doing. And he said, you know, you sound like me like a journalist. And I was kidding around with him. I said, no, the difference is I'm outside of the box. I could say these things that you would get fired for. What did he, he say to you? He laughed. You know, he agreed. <laughs> he's not going to really, you know, but he's just like, you know, point well taken. But the point is... It's going to take someone who's outside of the box to bring up the, the, the tough questions and, and, and put it out there for people to think about. I mean, just to, to ask those questions. What if? You know, uh, what the possibility. You know, right now, we're not getting the, you know, well, the possibilities. We're just getting, the okay, it's, it's black or white, and it fits inside here, and this is what it is, and you have to accept it. We're going to cook or cut this. And and, uh, and every website, everybody's gonna have the same information. It's gonna be canned, the same response, and you'll accept it. You'll 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 eat it like it's Purina dog chow. Well, you know what? That's not what people need. People need to be given a lot of different you know avenues to go down to be able to to make you know reasonable you know assessments and judgments based on the information. And you know if you suppress the information, it makes it difficult. Yeah. yeah. Well, the the internet is really uh, opening a lot of. Uh, a lot of doors for a lot of people and there's so much information out there now that that is accessible stuff that well, the, stuff that's been suppressed for a long time but also too you got to remember just like you have the national Enquirer, you know you have people that can tweak the truth and all of a sudden what might sound like it's you know really really good might be just a disinformation group putting stuff out there just to throw you off the, you know the track Absolutely. There, there, you so, definitely have to have your uh, discernment uh, mechanism going at all times. Well, I look at stuff. Yeah, get remote. Yeah. And I was gonna say, um, there's a, a saying I love saying, which is, if I have a room and I have an inch of gold in that room, and then I cover it with six inches of crap, nobody's gonna stick their hand in there to to look for the gold. So it's the same thing. You you wrap you wrap the truth with lies, so you don't even know what's true and what's a lie. Well, that's very true. You know, you know Hitler once said, "The bigger the lie, the easier to believe." 
So, uh, I mean, we've got some major stuff that's happened in this country recently in the last decade <laughs> that defies common sense. But it is, you know, put out there in a way that it is so unbelievable that people say, all right, I give up. I give up. I'll accept it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that or that or they're so they're so uh, brainwashed by the the square tube in the living room that uh, that that they believe everything that comes out of that thing. Well, and I it's would, all it, that's all controlled. So, well, you know, if you want to tune in, we're talking about we started this hour talking about spirituality. In order to tune in, you must tune out from all these uh, distractions. We'll call them that tell you how to think, what to do, when to do it, how to say it. And if, if you can do that, you can separate that and, and go within, then that's when you're going to open up the doorway to uh, the, the answers that you seek, whether you're a researcher, whether you're looking for answers, they will come because you'll be putting it in to your, your higher self, which will get you what you want just by going within because you already have the answers. It's like... Uh, in the Wizard of Oz, where they told Dorothy, you know, you already had, you know, you already had it already. Well, we have it already. We just have to go and say, okay, now where do I look? And, you know, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, guys, is knowing what to do next. You need to know what the process is. Once you establish the process, you can then control the process because you're the screenwriter, you know, this is the drama of your life. You know, you're the director, producer. You're the one who's controlling this. And if you control it, then you're the other one who should say, well, let's do a timeout. Let me reassess. And if you step out of it and become the conscious observer, the third party, and it's not really happening to you, you're watching it happen, almost like a Zen Buddhist approach, you'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, this, this, this kind of goes right in the direction where, we, where I definitely wanted to ask you a question that I, we ask most of our guests. Uh, what is your definition of consciousness and how does it affect our world? My definition of consciousness. Okay. That's very interesting. Uh, a lot of people draw their definition of consciousness based on their religious beliefs, what their parents teach them and what they learn in churches and organizations. And uh, so initially when you start out, at least I did in the process, I, 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 I was a devout Christian at the time and uh, from my parents. and But I realized that I had to cut the umbilical cord when I realized there were things that just didn't uh, make sense uh, in the philosophies that I, that I had been, been studying and, uh, and learning. You mean you're not a devout Christian anymore? Well, in a different <laughs> way. I, I believe, well, well I, 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 I follow the golden rule, you know, and I think we all should. If we only follow one rule, Ramon, it's, you know, Treat people the way you want to be treated, and I think you know we'd solve all the wars. Yeah. Uh, because you know you 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 wouldn't hurt yourself. Why would you hurt somebody else? It's, it's a reflection on you. When you 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 do something mean to someone or say something, whether it's opinionated or you do something, it's really your shadow. It's really you know you're having a problem, and you're reflecting on another another godlike human being, and you need to check yourself at the door when you do that. When you talk about higher consciousness, I mean. We are all, I believe, and we're going to be finding out we're more all co-creators with God. And I think that's where our super consciousness comes from, from this higher presence, which gives us the ability to create the things on this plane that we exist in the 3D and manifest them from this thinking stuff that we put into our minds. 
And by using that, we're able to create and mold what it is that we put in our consciousness and bring these things back to us, hopefully in a timely manner, and be able to see them manifest in, in earthly form. Yeah. That makes well sense. Well said. Well, I mean, for example, when you guys wanted to create this uh, TV show, you wanted to host this show, it, ha it had to start with a desire, a passion, and an idea. The thinking stuff process took place. You guys molded it, and next thing you know, here we are on you know, Conscious TV. I mean, the same process that it took to create this thing is every creation on Earth. You know, something had thought had to be put out there, and it had to be nurtured. It had to be, you know... Uh, done in, in, in a way where it, it could create itself. It just didn't happen just like the Big Bang Theory. Something that of intelligent design, I guess that's the word I'm looking for, to create this beautiful world that we live in. Mm. Is, is, so do you look at it as um, this being becoming self-aware? The first time it became self-aware was the creation or the beginning of the creation of the universe is the, the becoming of self-aware? Well, I believe that this omnipresent um, creator created many, many universes. And I think a lot of the people today have part of it. But one of the things that uh, reincarnation is, something that just popped up for me to talk about, is that Let's say, I'll throw a, a, a caveat out there. Let's say there were 355 species of human type of beings, different forms that were created all over the universes with the prime intention to coming to a planet near you, maybe Earth and others, to experience uh, the process of reincarnation, to get better in each different reincarnation, to become closer to the creator. If you looked at our planet, all over the planet, many people have the, the, the belief in reincarnation coming back and so forth, and some people even know, you know certain things. But if this is true in this process, and this is what the Creator had intended, then this 2012 thing coming up with the elevation of this planet to ascend might show people on this planet who've done, who are doing their spiritual work that there is a higher order that is going to take you to a higher elevation of spirituality in your next incarnation, which might take you to a different planet, maybe not Earth, somewhere else, a solar system near you, so to speak, to begin the process all over again. There's a lot of cyclicity on this planet, a lot of cycles that are happening, and uh, things that are just starting to be understood and the problem is organized religions will not allow you to get any further to be able to understand, you know, uh, the origin of, uh, of man, so to speak. Have you, uh, have you uh, read any of the Nag Hammadi stuff, uh, the uh, Sophia mythos or any of that? No, I have not, no, no. Uh, there's some, it's some very interesting... Uh, creation mythologies this is all from the uh the gnostic stuff the essenes the 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 mystery school stuff pre pre-judeo-christian uh mythologies uh there's well, some very very enlightening material there well as people are starting to discover you know our civilization 
that might have been designed in a test tube and experiment, you know. Uh, and uh, it was a higher intelligence uh, that was responsible for the creation of man as we know it on this planet. And uh, as people realize that and accept that, they'll realize that, you know, that even these people who were the creators of, of, of uh, in our DNA, so to speak, are not God. They just tampered with uh, things that they shouldn't have tampered with, so to speak. But there is a creator who's overseeing all of that. But there are other civilizations. I mean, we're, you know, to think that we're the only human form in this vast galaxy, you know, is, is, it would be asinine, you know, yeah. you know that, that we're the only life on this planet. I mean, you know, just we talked about UFOs and stuff, but, you know, I've heard other people say that, you know, possibly it could be our future coming back here, whatever, you know, time travel, whatever. And then, you know, with the planets being as far away as they are, unless you were able to warp, you know, time, you know, to go through a wormhole or, you know, instantaneously, it would be very difficult to travel, you know, because we can only travel, we can't, through the speed of light. It takes millions of years or hundreds of years just to get from planet A to planet B. So you got to realize that what what our conventional linear thinking uh, has forced us to do is is forced us not to be able to see that you know what there are other things that could be happening where you know you can bend things you can shape things that it's not uh, like you have quantum physics now where they're they're explaining things of that nature the possibility of it the string theory so these are things that are just coming to light that have been around for thousands of years. And, you know, to think that, we're, you know, this civilization, you know, modern man, you know, modern man, you know, if you ask the Native American, we're the seventh generation, you know, the seventh civilization that's cropped up. The other six have figured out a way how to blow up themselves, you know. So, you know, you know, so you can you can look for evidence all over the world and different, or, you know, oral stories or history. You know, if you go to the Veda teachings in India, you know, you, you can look at, you know, how that civilization uh, arrived, and you realize that, you know, a lot of them show, you know, uh, ancient chariots, spacecrafts, they show, you know, people that possibly had spacesuits on, so, and then they talk about, you know, even the stories in the Bible, it talks about, you know, Adam, you know, uh, the Cain and Abel, the two brothers, uh, you know, uh, and, and it's pretty much a parable for Enkil and Enlil, who were yeah. Anunnaki's, who, uh, you know, uh, created the test tube human and it didn't happen. It, you know, took many, many tribes, tries before, you know, a successful species was created. And uh, if you think about the missing link guys, I mean, they can't, there you know, they none. can't talk. There is none because there was never one to begin with. How do you have a Cro-Magnon man and Neanderthal man, you know, on the planet at the same time and say that one dies off because of survival of the fittest, you know, that's, that's crazy. You know, people just don't yeah. die just to die off. You have to have a reason. You, if you have two different species, it's an apple and an orange, how do you say they become, you know, uh, they become one? They don't. Yeah. So there's a, a lot of things. And, you know, if you cannot, you know, debate these things with, you know, sci- scientists or, you know, uh, people that, you know, of thought, you know, if you can't provoke thought in, in those type of arenas, makes it very difficult to be able to uh, to advance uh, you know, uh, science. I mean, how do you do it? It, it? it seems like our whole system is based on that. I mean, in, in every shape, form, I've I've uh, seen some people just go 
to legislation to try to get certain things set up, like, um, for example, to test homes, new ideas in homes to testing. And they were in court for seven years before they were able to. And even now, they still have a hard time getting the permit. Um, so what I, the reason why I'm bringing this up is just our modern way of thinking is, is so restricted when, when everything in life shows us that it should, it should, nothing is restricted in life, but we are. Well, Well, we, 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 we gave our power away a long time ago. But yeah, you know, I'm an optimist, and I will say that uh, the power is going to return. The veil is shortly to be li- lifted. It's going to take people who are open-minded, people such as ourselves, to create the dialogue to put it out there. And it's the uh, the, uh, the critical mass will be reached. It's that you know 100 monkeys, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that right now, what we're doing right now is uh, is passing it on. And I I encourage everyone listening to take what they're hearing today and if you find credence in it, if you find things that, that, that have opened you up, to pass it on because if we're right here today, we're setting a precedent here on this fabulous day that we're all together because we're in fellowship for the human race because we want this to continue. The only way this is going to continue is for us to be able to bring things into the light. That's the only way you could eliminate the darkness is by bringing it to light. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, we've, we've talked about the hundredth monkey a few times on our show, uh, and uh, I, I've gotten estimates from people. I think, and I, I tend to agree. I think it was Crystal Clark that I asked uh, what, where we thought, uh, where where I thought she we were as far as the hundredth monkey. How many monkeys have we got so far? And uh, she she her estimation was spit it right out. She said eighty percent. And uh, well, that kind of feels right to me. I think we're getting close. Well, I've got one for you. We talk about prayer groups. You know, you know, people get together, they pray, you know, for certain things a certain time. They have a harmonic convergence. For example, what I heard recently was that in World War II, World War II could have been stopped if only seven people got together and prayed on a regular basis to stop the sanity. World War II could have been averted. That's a very strong statement to hear that. But here's my point with that. If people got together now in groups, focus groups, and actually put their intention out, you magnify it, you know, 10 times, 20 times, whatever, and the universe was going to give you back what it is you put out there. Because the universe, you know, they take takes orders. You give an order, a command, or a demand, it comes back to you. For example, I, I command and demand right now that the tro- troops come back from Afghanistan. We stopped the war in Iraq. I command and I demand that. I want to see that money come back here so that way everybody can have health care. Everybody can have insurance. Everybody can, can be taken care of in this great country that we live in, you know, s- to stop the madness. That's my intention to put out there. And you know what? The legislation will come. The people will come. Everybody will get together. So you know what? We just need to have the same thought. That's the thinking stuff that has to happen today. And then hit the send button on your computer, you know, put the the right intention out. That's that consensus reality. Yeah. And I I feel 
that it's really happening because there's I've definitely been part of a lot of meditation groups and some of them have been really small, two, three people. Some of them have been really large, like a thousand people and everybody in their own spot meditating on one thing at a specific time and date. And people right. from all over the world. So the amazing thing is the internet is just allowing us to connect in ways we've never connected before and I don't know how many times I've heard that said and, and I've said it myself but just that alone is is each computer is acting like a, a, a what was it called a positron um, a neuron sorry a neuron each computer is acting like a neuron so we're creating this this global brain this energy all around us that is right, because here you are in Japan, and Tom's up in uh, uh, Seattle or Washington area, and, and I'm in California. Mm. And right now, we got people listening. Uh, they'll be listening all over the world to uh, to what we're putting out there, and we'll be touched, touched and affected. And they'll go out like uh, the Apostle Paul did and, and bring the, the the message home to everybody, you know, where they're located at, and share with them the beautiful things that are happening today as a result of what's happening on your show. Yeah, we we sure hope so. But, um, well, with that, we are we we've got we've got another hour in already. So, uh, you know, uh, that's actually a, a fairly good statement to uh, wrap things up. I think uh, I I, I uh, really want to you know stress that uh, we have the power, uh, and like Stephen said. It's those groups, those people, uh, and right out of the Bible, where two or more gathered in my it, gathered in my name, I am in their midst. So that's uh, there's a lot of truth to, to that statement. Uh, well, it's the power of three, you know. Uh, you, right. you talk about three. If you do something good, you'll tell three people. So I I, I, I hope everyone here today tells three people that, that that they've heard something good. So they'll tell three people. Who then will tell three people, and they'll tell three people, and it'll multiply, and then we'll have the masses and the numbers that we spoke about earlier, to uh, to create the uh, the new paradigm that we're all seeking. Because if if you don't like what you're seeing, then it's your own fault if you don't become proactive and you just reactive to watch it happen instead of making it happen. So I like yeah. put it out there. Let's make it happen. Let's let's create what we want to happen. This is. You know, this isn't a dress rehearsal for me or for any anyone who's listening. And this is your life. Make it yep. what you want it to be. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, let's get your uh, websites and stuff out again, Stephen. Okay, we'll start. If anybody wants to speak to me first off, then I'd be glad to do it on Skype. Uh, they can go to uh, Sindoni Says, S-I-N-D-O-N-I-S-A-Y-S dot webs dot com. And they can go there uh, for that. If they want to see my YouTube movies, they can go to YouTube.com, Sindoni Productions. If they want to see interviews about the legend of J.C. Brown, they can go to Stephen Sindoni with a P, dot webs dot com, and they can go there. So those are three places we can start with to have people get involved with anything that I'm doing, Tom. Great. And uh, uh, I'd like to consider possibly bringing you back on in the future and uh, – Focusing more on the spiritual aspect of what's going on on the earth. It's, you sound like you have a, you're very insightful and uh, you know, it has some stuff that you that could share. 
Well, I would love to come back on the air with you. Uh, there is um, a spiritual thing that would, by September that I would like to share regarding of what uh, the direction is for the planet. And I can't let the cat out of the bag right now, but I was told that there's a message that I'm supposed to deliver, so uh, uh, you well, guys might be the place I'll deliver it. Okay, well, as, time, as things uh, get close uh, and you're ready, let us know. Yeah, email us. We'll see what we can do. And uh, we we need to plan a trip together over to uh, Greenland. <laughs> you can only get there through Denmark. Uh, but it's pretty expensive. It's like uh, $4,000 for the uh, airplane ride to uh, Greenland from Denmark. I, 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 I would probably be more interested in just running down to Shasta and taking the shortcut. <laughs> well, Tom, uh, you know how to get a hold of me. That can be possible. Okay, yeah, I will. Uh, I will definitely keep that in mind. We're not too far away, so. No, no. I mean, uh, just a shout. And uh, as we see the way the internet and, and uh, the communications are today, it's pretty easy to connect. Yeah. It's okay, everybody. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you very much, Stephen, for joining us. And uh, thanks, uh, Ramon. And uh, thank everybody. Oh and God. thanks, Tom. Yep. And uh, make sure you tune in next week. And We've got, uh, let's see, next week we have Jay Widener on. So uh, that'll be a really good show. So uh, we will see everybody uh, next week. 